Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mitch. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. A little earlier today. Thanks for, uh, you know, uh, you know, changing the schedule a little bit. I know you're a very busy man. You got a lot of podcasts, so I appreciate it. There are a, There's one certainty in life, and that's if you have a person coming to work on anything in your home yes. during a three-hour or four-hour window they will arrive at the worst possible time every time. So I understand moving it up a little bit, and I've been there. So I'm happy we can make it work, and I'm excited to talk about some recruiting because it seems like, uh, you know, things are starting to ramp up here a little bit. Yeah, June 1. Um, I just booked my uh, my trip to the Elite 11 Finals. It's all all squared away at the end of the month. I'm really looking forward to, you know, doing that. Um, Good. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a little bit. Um, So we're going to talk about some schools are making headlines and recruiting that really haven't been too relevant in recent years. You know, one thing we just we have to do it, but we end up talking about the same schools over and over. So I love when other schools are making splashes and and we can talk about them. We're going to talk about Sam Khan's story that published Tuesday. He did a roundtable with eight recruiting staffers from around the country at various levels. Some really interesting stuff there. We'll talk about some other notable commitments. We'll hit the mailbag and have trivia. Uh, The first school I want to talk about with a notable commitment this week is Louisville. And we've talked about the Cardinals in, in recent podcast over the last few months have done very well in in California but this one DeAndre Moore former five-star wide receiver who had been committed to Oklahoma commits to Louisville and I think the word you you're trying to get in touch with DeAndre for maybe a story I think you, you use the word you're just fascinated by this one why he didn't follow his buddies over to USC yeah you would just think it'd be a layup you know and I think that the second high school teammate with two other USC commits, Malachi Nelson being one yes. of them um the second that Lincoln Riley took the USC job and had all those commitments, because if you remember the 2023 class or the 2024 class for Oklahoma, was it 23 or it was 24? It was 23. Yeah, sorry, the years are, are uh, before the 22 class stack. had signed. That's right. A 2023 class that OU had like a year ago had like five five star prospects in it or five top 100 players in it. And I think three or four of them were from California. Yeah. Um so the the general assumption, I think, at that point, for me at least, was that all those players that were going to leave Southern California to go play for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma will be like, well, that worked out. Now I can just go to USC and do the same thing I was going there for here. Um, and my assumption was that they would all flip. And Malachi Nelson, I think, was who I wrote about initially once that stuff happened. And, you know, he ended up flipping a week or two later. Um, and uh, Makai Lemon, is that his name, the athlete? Yes, that's right. The athlete, um, you know, followed suit shortly after. Or he might have been more stayed loyal. More, more stayed yeah. loyal to Oklahoma at the, after the coaching change. It wasn't yeah. like he decommitted and is just now committing. I don't know if I'd say stayed loyal. I just think okay. he waited longer to decommit because he ultimately yeah. decommitted. Um, and that's like something that you would change in my story. So I'm happy I got to do it back to you. Yes. Um, 
because I knew what you meant for a time being. Yeah, I knew what you meant, uh, yeah. but it was actually <laughs> inaccurate, so I changed it. <laughs> Is this the proudest moment um, of your life? Yeah. Well, it's just like, mm-hmm. if that was annoying for you now, imagine being me every single day of my life. Um, <laughs> I uh, I think that it's an interesting situation because it never seemed like he was following the other two. You know, from the beginning, he did, he waited to decommit. And then when the other two uh, committed to USC, he did not commit to USC. And then now all of a sudden he's uh, committed to Louisville. So, you know, he's a top 50 player, if I remember that off the top of my head. Um and all of a sudden, like Louisville has like a it's fifty-five uh, right now, but basically fifty-five. The same thing. Yes. Yeah. See, you just did it again. Um, well, that that was just that was legitimately correcting. I wanted our readers to understand that he was ranked fifty-five and not top fifty. Yeah. Our readers, our listeners. I'm sorry. Forty-eight to fifty-five was huge. Um, Mitch. Yeah. It's all you of a sudden, Louisville has like a pipeline uh, from Southern yeah, California. The California pipeline. So seven. Their, their class is number seven right now with 10 commits. Five are from California. Three are ranked in the top 150 nationally. Their average player rating of 90.19, that's fifth best right now among the top 10 teams. DeAndre Moore would be the third highest ranked signee in program history behind the only five-star at Louisville in the modern Michael, recruiting era. Was it Brian Brom? Uh, what were you going to say first? No, Brian Brom was what I was going to say. Yeah, no, Michael Bush. I thought you said Michael first. I must, oh, no, must. I've never even heard of Michael Bush. Oh, running back, uh, signed in 2003, five-star running back, and, and Brian Brom oh, yeah, was a Oh, yeah, he high, played for the Bears, right? I remember I him. I think so. He played in the NFL. He's in, uh, in four-star Brian Brom in 2004. So there is, um, yeah, I mean, and this is a, usually when you see a program lose momentum, like I love the Scott Satterfield hire. I thought they, they I don't know the numbers in front of me, but from year one, from, Obviously, the last year of the Petrino era was such a train wreck. You were going to see improvement, but they showed a lot of improvement in year one. I thought he did a great job, obviously, at App State. And then they just lost all momentum in recruiting. Kentucky started kicking his ass in, in state, and they weren't recruiting the South like Florida as they normally do. And they, they've they, they got it going on in California this year. And they got the quarterback. They got their their wide receiver, DeAndre Moore. So, um, and Pierce Clarkson, the, the- – yeah quarterback is going to the elite 11 finals too so and has an a&m offer if i don't uh if i don't get deandre moore on the phone because i'm going to try one more time um i'm going to definitely try to write about this at the end of the month so if you're interested in louisville uh stay tuned we'll have a story about it eventually whether it's this week or in a month from now uh i think that'll be interesting so um you know it's so funny too it's like you know and i know that we're the <laughs> the show is called star Wars matter but it is unbelievable to me that lamar jackson is not one of the top 25 players in the history of louisville recruiting yeah was he a, i think he was a three-star prospect four, was he i thought he was a mid-level four-star maybe but, he uh, was i'm gonna go look it up you got because it? Okay. uh he uh in my opinion and i know that now he's a three-star prospect 409 in the in the wow. 2015 class you you refer to him in your mailbag as maybe the best college football player you've ever seen. I think he is the best college football player I've ever seen. I, I don't know. The thing that I don't like doing about the best college football player I've ever seen debate is that nobody ever says lineman. And like there are a lot of really good offensive sure. linemen. Um, I would say there's a difference between best and most dynamic and exciting. And I'm old enough to remember Reggie Bush, which some people on this podcast are probably too young to remember. And you know, I actually had a conversation at a high school that I was at last week about how the player I'm writing about had never heard of Reggie Bush. Even when he got a USC wow. offer, he was just like, oh, cool. And I like, had no idea who Reggie Bush was. 
That is amazing. I was old enough to enjoy and appreciate Reggie Bush. I don't know that there's been a more exciting football player to watch in the history of the sport than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I would say Michael Vick, to me, was right up there, too. Yeah. Uh, Part of the Michael Vick deal was that he was new. Now, there have been mobile quarterbacks, of course, but he was so exciting. Like, Lamar Jackson was probably a more exciting, dynamic quarterback yeah. But he was sort of like a progression. Michael Vick to other guys, where Vick seemed like what he was doing, he had the athleticism to to like a running back, and then he would just plant his foot and throw the spirals, you know, sixty five yards down the field. The yeah, best Yeah, and that's probably a fair uh fair the, I mean, who's gonna ever quor- say anything negative about Michael Vick and the way that he played? The best quarterback I uh, college quarterback that I think I've seen in person was uh Danny Worfel, though. Who's the uh, best player or most exciting dynamic player you've ever watched in college football? Michael Vick? Uh, yeah, never saw him in person. Um, I mean, in person doesn't matter. I never saw yeah. Lamar yeah. Jackson in person. I, I think my, my, I'd say Michael Vick only because of the newness of it. Like, yeah. again, Lamar Jackson did some things in the field that were just incredible, but we kind of seen that to some degree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Louisville. I'll be interested to see how much of this class, how many, this is an unanswerable question, Ari, but I would think that when so much of your the, the key parts of your class are – 3,000 miles away that you got to be a Louisville fans, maybe a little nervous to holding out. It's not like they've got a stronghold in Kentucky and Ohio. Like how, how nervous should Louisville fans be? Um, I think there's two ways of looking at it. I guess, obviously nervous that you're going to sign guys with six months to go is probably a fair thing because somebody's got an A&M offer, you know, Jimbo pays everybody a million dollars in the class, right? Sure. Um, you know, you never know when big time schools start getting involved, what can happen. But the thing that I would be most concerned about um, if I were a Louisville fan, because, you know, the, the general hope is that recruiting is a is a preview into how you're building your program. Uh, you know, even if they get these guys signed, the thing that is tough would be the sustainability of the process. You know, like there are certainly yep, recruiting classes that catch lightning in a bottle. Uh, one year and you know they get the right three guys that want to do something new and, and really um, you know follow through in doing it but are you going to be able to go into Southern California year after year and get these types of players um, I don't know that's that to be the case so Whereas the Kentucky model is much more yeah sustainable. and it's like possible too and like maybe I'll try to get Pierce Clarkson on the phone to talk about this before the Elite 11 but like apparently Pierce Clarkson is like the main recruiting fixture in this class. I think I read somewhere that DeAndre Moore said, who was the best and most efficient recruiter from, from Louisville <laughs> for you? And he said, Pierce Clarkson. So like, if you have the right quarterback that, you know, has a dynamic enough personality to convince you to, to do it, I think that that's certainly a powerful thing. And Pierce Clarkson's not going to be recruiting next year. Um, but, you know, Hey, any way you can get it done in a given class is an important thing to do. And, uh, you know, they might finish with a top 20 class this year and, you know, that would be something to be excited about. So for sure, you know, I, the thing with Louisville too, is that they get their ass kicked for the most part in Kentucky. Um, Cause Kentucky has done such a good job in Ohio and, and in the state of Kentucky the last few years, I think Kentucky's gotten the top player in Kentucky for the last three or four years. Except the um, uh, quarterback went our uh, Gavin Wimsett and went to Rutgers. Oh, that's right. Was he number one last year? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. He will, he reclassified. So whatever year he, I think either year he would have been number one. I, I think. Yeah. Okay. For more yeah, context on this, by the way, go back and read Kyle Tucker's Kentucky Recruiting Confidential. It was very, very good. Yes, um, yes. Good and like, I mean, programs. I think the general um, the general takeaway from that was, not to spoil the story, that Kentucky is doing a hell of a job in the state, right? And Louisville's given up. I mean, 
that's yeah. not fair, but some some high school coaches seem to suggest that Louisville's well, given up. And in the high state. school coaches too. It's like very. It's like I struggle with this in my career. Yeah. Um, because high school coaches, from what I've I've come across, are very nice, very genuine, and excited to talk to you type guys. Um, but if you slight a player on their team, or you don't they offer somebody that you, they get really mad. Yeah. Um. And rightfully so, because they care about their kids. And if it was your, if it was your player or somebody that you helped raise or, you know, helped develop, you know, I would feel the same way. But you know, it doesn't seem like Kentucky is much of a fact. I mean, sorry, Louisville is much of a factor in Kentucky. So it's like, oh yeah, let's let's celebrate. And the fact that they're like getting all these guys from from California. The two things I would say is one, none of these guys have signed yet, and two, are they going to be able to do it again next year if they do sign? Good point. Um, another program in California that it's kind of a, an indictment on the program, Ari, that they just got a commitment from a top 200 player from California, and it's big news. And that's that's UCLA. Trey Edwards, uh, number 195 from uh, uh, Mater D, and linebacker from Mater D, and they got a running back from Lincoln High School in San Diego. But it should not be big news when UCLA gets a top 200 player, but that's kind of where we are right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what – and it's probably worth the story, but Chip Kelly just despises talking to the media. So I don't know how um, possible that is, but like UCLA kind of seems to be out on their own island a little bit. And I don't know if it's late on NIL or it's just a certain way of doing things where Chip is just going to recruit to a system and, you know, recruiting stars be damned. And it's just like, that's the thing with, with Chip Kelly too. It's just like at Oregon, he was the first person to run an offense that, you know, took advantage of some some rules that people had a hard time defending. And he found certain guys, regardless of the recruiting ranking, that fit that system. And they did a very good job of, you know, running one of the most exciting offenses in college football for a few years there. It was innovative. It was uh, game changing. Uh, college football had to evolve as a result of it. Um so all of his plan at Oregon worked because he was different and new and innovative. I don't know that that's the case at UCLA. And it's like when UCLA hired Chip Kelly, I thought, oh, shit, man, there might be a chance that UCLA might be very, very good in the near future. You know, I thought Chip Kelly was a big enough brand name having coached in the NFL to sort of attract top talent. And I thought it would be kind of like a, a light version of what Link I expect from Lincoln Riley a little bit. You know, anybody... Um, in that area of the country that plays in the Rose Bowl that has a dynamic personality or at least a legend of a coach to a certain degree as their head coach, you would think. I would hey, not say he has a dynamic personality, but he's yeah, got the, well, he's dynamic got the reputation. Personality meaning meaning that like he his personality he's got the rep- dynamic is, reputation as a yeah great offensive coach. But his personality also too is you know it might not be dynamic in the sense of warmth and excitement and you know a lot a lot to say, but he is kind of a legend in his own regard and his personality is part of that. So you know. Either way, I, I, I anticipated that UCLA, because if you go back and look historically, UCLA has signed top 25 classes more often than not. It's not Jim, like Moore, been a Jim Moore did yeah. a good job. He was he, So he, I, I he thought that they well. actually had a really good chance there to do something. And, you know, I know for a fact that the recruiting coordinator is really on the ball. So I, I don't know if something's not adding up there or, you know, if they have their own specific plan they're trying to do and, you know. But they aren't going to be winning the Pac-12 by just signing a bunch of guys that they they aren't that are on their own um, evaluation and not like, I mean, the stars again matter and, you know, you might find a gem here or there. You might get five or six guys in the class that were undervalued or, or mis misranked, 
but that can't be your entire your entire plan in 2022, especially considering um, UCLA isn't running an offense that is different or innovative the way that Oregon was when he was in charge there. Yeah. Um, another program we haven't spent much time on over the uh, – I was thinking the other day, all right, we've been doing this for like almost nine months, this pod. Man, we could have um, had a baby. Yeah, you did have a baby. Um, West Virginia, number two player in Pennsylvania – Rodney Gallagher, wide receiver, I believe, um, won a war, one on one nationally, fourteen at his position. Um, I know Penn, Penn State after him. Obviously, I think Notre Dame thought that they were in a good spot for him. Um, just not a program we've we've talked about recently. Like I said, Neil Brown. I think we all think he's a good coach. Did a good job at Troy. Good offensive coach, but you need players like Rodney Gallagher. To, to you know, make that offense effective and really good get for West Virginia. Yeah, last year they got Nico Marchial, who was a, a pretty highly rated quarterback prospect, I think top 300 player. Um, but that was the last splash I remember West Virginia making. Do you think, and, okay, here's, here's a question for you. Last, I looked this up, their last top 100 signee, how long do you think it's been? Now, now uh, Gallagher right now is 101, so um, he's not in top 100. So this isn't the trivia question. You just went and this did is, it for no, fun? Did, yeah, well, just for entertainment purposes. Um, I would say 2015. Um, further. Really? 2010. Wide receiver Ivan McCartney was number 68. Wow. Yeah, so it's going by. So wow. No, that's 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 like legitimately shocking to me. The, here's here's some of their most recent. When did they top, move over to the Big 12? What year? I think it was 2012. So it was, it was when they were in the Big East, I guess. Um. So their top recruit in 2022 was number 211 nationally. Top recruit in 2021 was 109. Top recruit in 2020 was 277. So they they don't, you know, obviously they don't they don't live in these waters. They don't swim in these waters. So so really good get right there, um, for for West Virginia. Which you know we we talk a lot about the new Big 12 and you know who who can can Texas t- can TCU or is it going to be Baylor? Who's going to emerge? And we don't really talk about. Uh, West Virginia at all. Well, it's kind of hard to talk about a team that has only signed one top 100 player. Uh, yeah, when, hey, when you have a podcast called Stars Matter, you're not going to yeah. talk about them much. But I do I do think that um, they are a... You know, last year when we when we were still doing the, um, the thing called The Five where we listed five things, um, yeah. we did schools that faced the largest or highest obstacles in recruiting, and I think West Virginia was on the list, right? Yeah, I think, you know, geography and... Geography uh, is weird because, like, it's only a two-and-a-half-hour or three-hour drive from Morgantown into the center of Ohio. So it's actually not that far away from a lot of really good players, and they could build, you know, on Ohio a lot of the same ways that some Big Ten schools do and, and Kentucky has done. But there are no players at all in West Virginia, for the most part. Um, I don't even know what the biggest city in West Virginia is. Charleston. Charleston. I've been through there, and it's like a very small town, right? It's I. My guess is three hundred thousand people. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Big. All I know is that rarely are there players that come out of there, and they're playing in a conference where you can't. There's not what. There's not a single Big Twelve road trip that you could make in a car for a game from West Virginia. Now that's changing Cincinnati. when Cincinnati yeah. comes. Yeah. But for now, and what we're talking about is, you know, what's the closest school? Kansas State. Mm, good question. Probably Kansas or Kansas State. So you know, I've I've always felt for West Virginia, and the thing about it too is that it's a really cool campus, and um, their basketball arena. I've always say this, but their basketball arena was one of the loudest arenas I've ever been in. 
for what a basketball you, you cover game. an Ohio State-West Virginia game there? Yeah, back in like 2011 or something, I went there to cover an Ohio State-West Virginia basketball game, and I was like, holy crap. This stadium craps on Ohio State's basketball arena. Well, every every college stadium does. Um, but it was really loud. I was not a big fan of the Schottenstein like Center. It's just not a college basketball arena. Right, it's a concert arena. venue. Yeah. yeah, and they put the the wealthy donors by the floor, and it's not very loud. Um, it it just it doesn't have the personality or the feel that a college basketball arena should have, in my opinion. Um, what was I saying about oh West Virginia? I mean, I think it'd be a great place to go. And I, it wasn't so long ago too, and a lot of the kids who might be listening to this don't remember, but like those Steve Slayton teams oh, were Pat nasty. White. Oh yeah. yeah, and I mean the Big East was back in 2010. When was, was good. In, yeah, Rutgers, two, Louisville, yeah, West Virginia. 2007. I was uh, back in my college dorm days, and we. I mean, West Virginia was the team I ran with in NCAA because it was like they had the option. And I would just like run for 700 yards a game with those guys. And it's just like, it's so funny because we talk about college football recruiting, Mitch. And, you know, I think in 2022, it almost feels hopeless for some fan bases to be like, well, hey, how can we win a national title or be really, really good in this world when all the best players are. But like back in the day, and it's what gives me hope for change in the future. There were certain random programs out there that were really cool for three, four, five year stretches. Like, it, every single person my age remembers how amazing it was and how much fun it was to watch West Virginia every Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, West Virginia yeah. is probably one of the five coolest coolest programs from my childhood. You know, USC had their top their run at the top. I mean, Louisville had a few years. Rutgers, you said, had a few years. Like, that's the, the thing that I don't know is, like, if that's dead. Yeah, I'm trying to think uh, as you were, you know, which programs can – can jump up. I mean, Northwestern yeah. went to the Rose Bowl. I mean, like there, yeah. there was a lot of, a lot of like one-off teams or teams that were like really, really cool. Like West Virginia is probably the best example of it of like non-blue blood, non-blue blood program that was actually like there would be kids at my high school in Arizona who were wearing West Virginia hats. Like well, it was I, just one of the coolest programs in America when Rich Rod had it running there. Well, before that, um, I graduated high school in 1989, and West Virginia played for the national title that year with Major Harris as the quarterback. So I went to a public high school in New Jersey. More kids from my high school went to West Virginia than any other school, like seven, because it was cool because they played for the national title in football. So um, yeah, they, no, I mean, I, I and it's like how, and I guess that's like we've written about this and talked about it, but like how can somebody be like that again? Even well, it if takes it's not a, for a long it, period of time. It takes some luck. Um, I don't remember Steve, Steve Slayton's recruitment, but Pat White was from Mobile, Alabama. A bunch of SEC schools wanted him to play safety or wide receiver, and he wanted to go to West Virginia to play quarterback and ended up being an amazing college. Pat quarterback. White was a three-star prospect from Alabama. Yeah, yeah but I think Al. I mean, I know. In the he 2004 came, class, he came to Vanderbilt for an official visit of safety. I think he went to Alabama. He went to some school you knew at LSU. That? Yeah. Um. So yeah, Steve Slayton was a three-star pro. And like the from Maryland. Are back Slayton from, was from Maryland, right? No, uh, I think it's Eastern Pennsylvania. So basically, okay. gotcha. um, the rankings um, from like 2005 aren't nearly as accurate as they were right. now. But I guess it's kind of like I guess maybe the answer is just like get lucky and find Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I mean, you it's know, Louisville. Louisville had, had its three-year run where they were they were must-watch television during great that great offensive coach. Um, when was that? 2016, 17. I think so. Sounds right. Hey, let's. Um, 
I want to get to Sam's uh, survey he did in a minute, but another program we've talked a lot about recently is Northwestern made another big splash. Um, got Damon Wal- uh, Walters, a uh, top 400 safety from Illinois, number 353, and a top uh, number 409 defensive lineman from the McDonough School in in Maryland. So they're up to number five nationally. Now that's not going to stay there, but they've got 16 commitments, one four-star, and five top 500 players. So this Northwestern class is definitely better than previous Northwestern classes. It might settle into that. You said both names, right? Damon uh, Damon Walters and Mason Robinson? Yeah, Mason Robinson, I think. There's two of them. Yeah. Um, Um, So yeah, this, this, they are, they're moving into that, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a top 25 class or a top 30 class, but they have, and you've made the point astutely because everyone always talks about facilities. Northwestern has amazing practice facilities that, that on the lake, you know, as you say, go Google it and look at it, but that really has not improved their recruiting. It's been better for their current players, um, but it hasn't translated the recruiting success. Now, is this the reason that's, are they recruit? A lot of times, people say your success comes a year and a half, two years later. Maybe Pat Fitzgerald's recruiting from the Big Ten West title team a few years ago, or just enough kids this year have decided they want to go to Northwestern. But this seems like to be a it's sort obvious of a, that Northwestern paying everybody. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I'm going to call Matt Fortuna. I think that like a lot of these kids were on the same official visit, and I think it'd be an interesting story to write. Like, what the hell happened on that official visit? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get a Northwestern story. Like we always say it's it's good yeah. to. Um, all right, another note, and then before we move on, did you see this Tim Brewster, uh, well-traveled um, recruiter, so to speak? He was a head coach at Minnesota for a while, but he was on he was on Den Mullen staff at Florida. One of the few guys on that Florida staff, I guess you could say, was known as a recruiter. Hired at Jackson State. Let's ride. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, wasn't he like uh, a lot of people? Like uh, you know, kind of accuse him of not always doing things the right way. Like, is that what you're getting at? Um, sort of. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Deion Sanders just got really mad about the NIL statement, and then you know you got to go get out. closers, man. Yeah. Didn't Jackson State pick up a commitment this week? Yeah. And a um, four-star Isaiah Kendall, number two sixty-nine, wide receiver from Newport, Arkansas, which is interesting because Sam Pittman in that staff had been clean last couple of years, been cleaning house on in-state four stars and better. I don't know if there's been a five-star player, so that's a. A temporary big blow uh, to, I don't know, situation if Arkansas is recruiting them. I assume they are. And I, I probably they... should have written this week in recruiting this week. A lot happened. Well, you can write it next week. Should I write it for tomorrow? Well, you got to do the recruiting reset. I know, but should I write this week for tomorrow? No. We can talk about it later. Okay. I just didn't know <laughs> if people wanted the... This is how we talk on the phone when we're not yeah. recording. <laughs> um, um, well, okay. Another note, too. But, hey, wait a minute. The Jackson yeah. State thing is really, really – it's like, does this thing have staying power? Actually, you know what? The fact that I kind of just glossed over it and wanted to go on to something else like tells you how far they've come. Yeah. Tells yeah, you like, how oh, far they've they got a four-star prospect that's <laughs> rated in the top 300 nationally anyway uh, on <laughs> to Indiana. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, if, he, if, like, the Travis Hunter thing never happened, this would be the biggest story of the week. You, no doubt. Yes. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's – uh. You know, the one thing I'll say is, and I don't know if you're on this, but like, isn't Jackson State playing or had been playing the last few months? I didn't watch a single snap of it. What do you mean playing the last few months? Aren't they a spring? Or wasn't Jackson State playing? Uh, that was last game? spring, like after COVID. Did they? Oh, so they weren't playing. Because like, I thought no. I saw a Jackson, uh, a Travis Hunter highlight for Jackson State. Maybe, Maybe that was a spring, spring game. game. Yeah. Okay. Um. 
so I, I I hope that you know it's like I'm so interested in Jackson State on the field that I don't even know what season they're playing in. <laughs> um, but I hope that if this continues, that it'll like be on TV and draw attention because it's not a a lack of interest. It just wasn't in the forefront of like my viewership. Like I watch right. all levels of football. Right. It's like I would love to see Travis Hunter play. Yeah. Um, Dante Moore, one of the most high profile quarterbacks in the class, five star, who seems to be a lot of Notre Dame. You know, mm-hmm. rumors out there. I was just before the, the podcast, uh, Eric Single, one of our uh, fellow editors, is, is uh, out this week. So I was editing Pete Sampson's story. And Pete noted that uh, Dante Moore is not visiting Notre Dame officially this summer. He's got official visits to A&M, Miami, Oregon, and Michigan. But he's been to Notre Dame a bunch. I still think that Notre Dame thinks it's in good place with him, but they've put a lot of eggs in this Dante Moore basket. So it'd be interesting to follow where this goes. And I, again, maybe the fact that he's not going there officially, you can rationalize it if you're a Notre Dame fan saying he's already been there a lot, but I know Notre Dame would like also, him on campus. Also, what's like a three-hour drive? Uh, yeah, probably four. Uh, maybe three and a half, yeah. So, But they probably want him there on one of their big official visit weekends. And that's and we've written about it. Everyone talks about it. But that's something that's changed dramatically in recruiting over the past few years is the official – the big official visit weekends are now in June. They're not in December or yeah. January. It's really kind of weird to kind of um, adjust to that. It's been a few years where June's always been. But, like, I remember back when I was covering Ohio State three or four years ago that the biggest visit weekend of the year was, like, the Michigan game. Like, at the, at the beginning of the game, uh, you know, you'd have 500 prospects walking around on the field there. And yeah, like that was like the entire illustration of this is what Ohio State football is. This is the biggest game of the calendar year. This is the passion the fans have. Uh, here's what it's going to be like to walk out that tunnel. It's senior day when it's home. Like I to me, like I thought that was the perfect display of why you would go to Ohio State. And it's like now you just go to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center in June and like get one on one training from Larry Johnson. It's like I, I still feel like the second one is or the first one's more compelling but, it's but just coaches can spend more time. With yeah, the yeah. Kids. There's always yeah, the drawback of spending more time, but like that's what unofficial visits for were for. Yeah. Back in the day, unofficial visits were like a true gauge of interest. If somebody paid money out of their own pocket to come there in the spring or the summer, that meant that they were super interested, and that helped guide Ohio State into how they wanted to recruit those guys. And now it's just like, well, it's free, and I'm going to go now, and I'm going to commit. Uh, it's just kind of like a different calendar, and it's like weird to kind of wrap your head around. Yeah, no doubt. Um, did you – let's talk about Sam Khan's survey. He uh, went out – we had Sam on last week. Great show. Go back and listen if you haven't done it. You can um, – Probably find, a legend. Yeah, find out when uh, Ari found out that the Vanderbilt School newspaper's name was The Hustler. Mm-hmm. Um, high comedy ensued. Well, Sam went out to a, uh, a, a conference of recruiting staffers in, in Las Vegas and, and got with eight of them to do kind of a roundtable, asked them a bunch of questions about um, the industry, and, and hopefully you read it, Ari, but – some things that jumped out to me, and I'd love to get your take on it. It was interesting, like the differing responses about the same topic and like all rational arguments. Like so, there seems to be a lot of uh, momentum or a lot of people want like for the for the portal. You can only transfer certain times a year and it can't just be open portal all the time. And one of the guys was like that he doesn't want that because there's too many guys to evaluate. If you let – his quote was – but what are you going to do when 1,500 kids go into the portal and you have six weeks to go through it all? His point is like, I need all that time to look at the tape and evaluate it where all these other people were saying there's too much roster flux if guys are allowed to leave whenever. Well, you want to know why there's differing opinions on all these topics. It's because every single college has different infrastructures. Yes. So like there's one college might have – 
a 15 person recruiting staff that's making a million dollars a year uh, in salary that all like splits that thing up. And then you might go to another place that has two people and it's like, holy crap, how am I possibly going to get through all this? So like the hardest part about recruiting rules in general is that, you know, you want to make them as uniform as possible and you want everybody to play by the same set of them. But nobody's playing by the same set of rules because everybody's staff is different and people have invested more money and more resources into into different departments that make them more or less effective based on the on the constraints of the of the rules as they're set right now. So yeah, you know, you're only this, allowed ten assistant coaches, but you can have as many recruiting staff as you want. You could hire the entire stadium to break down tape for if you wanted to. It's like I, I this is I, I bring up Ohio State because I have a lot of a lot of background covering them, but like they have I think like a fourteen person or a fifteen person when I left staff. Like there's a video guy, there's a there's a photos guy, there's a film breakdown guy. Uh, a visits person you know what i mean like there's like all sorts of different they have a whole company that's dedicated to recruiting and it's like well how do you think indiana's going to beat them in recruiting when there's like three people there probably it's like it's hard yeah and, and one of the questions was about a lot you know what would you change about it? a lot of it was the quality of life now these are entry a lot of these are entry-level positions a lot of them aren't i mean there's recruiting directors there but uh they're just not very well paid. In coaching positions, entry-level coaching positions aren't well paid, like, you know, uh, GAs and all that stuff. But I thought this was funny about when someone said, you get a running backs coach who's a good recruiter, and because he struck gold in recruiting, he gets a, a, a pay raise, like he can get like a $300,000 pay raise. Mm-hmm. But then you get a recruiting staffer who maybe identified two guys that you signed who end up being good, and he wants 20000 extra, and it's like no chance in hell. And it seemed like a lot of frustrations and the haves and the have-nots. And that's not just between the big schools and the small schools. I'm sure there's recruiting staffers in Alabama only not making much money either. But you know. Yeah, I think I remember the, the recruiting player personnel director, Mark Pantone. Uh, when I, this was like, hell, 10 years ago now. But I think he was making 110 grand his first year at Ohio State. And like that is not enough. Like he, he right. was more important than like I'm, I don't even know. I mean, who Urban Meyer would get up was, in press but, conferences and say he's the most important person on their staff. Yeah, but he was getting paid less than the like hmm. five times less than the least paid assistant. So like I think that's changed now. I think he's doing really well, and he's like the people call him the Godfather of recruiting, um, and was like kind of the person who has the visionary to create these departments and all that stuff. So like I think he's doing fine now. But you know, I remember thinking you know ten years ago that it was disproportionate to the rest of the staff, and I think that these these people that are in these entry level scouting positions to have a gripe because, you know, a lot of times these coaches, you know, they might pick who they want to offer or whatever, but like, who do you think is identifying players and reaching out to them first and breaking down the tape and presenting the tape. So, you know, and and everyone always like jokes about like, well, how on earth do you think that NIL isn't going to cause cancers in the clubhouse when one person's making $2 million a year, and somebody else isn't making anything. And it's like, well, what do you think every college football staff looks like in America? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christian like, Capel. It have not. It's a new. Yeah. Christian Capel, our Washington writer, wrote ZTF there. Um, Christian Capel, our Washington writer, makes like nothing. No, like, I thought that's what you were going to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> and our recruiting guy, Ari Wasserman, makes a ton. Makes a ton. No. No, 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 he wrote a story. Like, ZTF, their their uh, defensive, uh, their their edge rusher who came out basically came out of nowhere, had a monster season two years ago before he got hurt. I think he was he's from Hawaii, and some recruiting staffer or even some high school, I mean, some some, some student discovered him watching film, and they, they recommended the coaches, and they end up signing him. He's all American caliber guy. Like, 
you know, not saying, you, I don't know, is there bonuses? I, I don't know how you do it, but to, to, to that point, there's a lot of a lot of valuable people in these offices that, that and I don't think can, people realize too how in depth the the uh, film breakdown goes. Like a lot of times, they don't just break down the plays um, that these guys are playing. They like will break down their temperament on the sideline, or they'll look at like where they are in team pictures. Like there's so much stuff that go. It's kind of like that movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner. It's like they they. You know, they want to find every little detail that they can on tape to try to see what kind of, you know, character or what kind of teammate they are. Um, it, it, there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into it. And the people that I feel for the most are the digital people, the people yeah. who make the graphics, the videos. The NCAA keeps changing the rules and allowing more and more people to or more and more things to be produced for these players. The photo shoots and the pictures and the graphics are a, a legitimate expectation from these guys. And you have entry level, you know, interns and first year people doing these doing these graphics that are getting paid very little amount of money and putting in 70 hour weeks because there's a mountain of graphics that need to be made. And it's just like, then the coach makes $10 million a year and you're just sitting there like doing all of his dirty work. All, and I mean, I guess that's the way the, the country works, you know? Yeah. There's CEOs and there's entry level. I do people. all your, I do all the research for your stories yeah. and you, you write them, you get the glory. It's that's okay. true. Um, Dabo Sweeney, uh, you know, is the perfect example of it, right? He's the CEO of Delta and Trevor Lawrence is the bag checker. Like, I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere you look. So, um, you know, but that those are legitimate concerns and I totally feel for those guys. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else from that, uh, from Sam's thing, jump out at you? You know, I think there's a lot of technical stuff that I think it's worth reading because, you know, it's kind of hard to break down in a conversation, but right. I thought that the, the uh, initial counter limits for the next two years is an interesting issue. Because the scholarship numbers are so, it's like they have too many people on rosters, but because of the COVID rule. But then now people are transferring out so fast that you can't fill a roster unless you have more than twenty five. It's like the balancing the numbers of your roster thing is fascinating to me, and I think it's a, a more of a case by case basis. But like every beat writer and at the athletic should have like a running counter of how many scholarships that they have and how they're trying to make it. And I think it's a good tool for. Um, are you calling out Bill Landis? No, Landis does it. He's he's really good at it. Oh, uh, Landis has like a has a war room in his house of just like every single Ohio State thing that there is to know, and it's like all charted out like a, you know like a crime scene board. But um, it really Landis is, is a, lot a great of, beat writer, by the way. He is. He, he is, is what we're looking for in a beat writer. He is. Yeah, handsome. Not too. Say, yeah, not saying that you weren't. I didn't deal with you as a beat writer. I just deal with you as a recruiting writer. I was the best beat writer on the face of the planet. <laughs> the really. I was the entire planet? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know. I, didn't. I was much better than Landis. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Good to, <laughs> good to know. Um, want to some mailbag questions? Sure. Um, we talked to UCLA earlier. This, this one's interesting. From Thomas C. Do you think in this era of recruiting programs without – do you think in this era – uh, programs without an on-campus football stadium can win at a high level. I think UCLA and Miami are more hamstrung than you'd like to think because of this. Such a disadvantage, in my opinion, with recruits. I think beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It would matter to me a lot if the school I was looking at did not have an on-campus stadium. It might not matter to some people. I think back in the Miami days of the Orange Bowl, it didn't matter because it was such a revered place to play. Uh, everyone loves the Rose Bowl, but it's not close to UCLA. I think it has to hurt them. Yeah, I think it does. I don't know. It's like 
Do I play in the Rose Bowl every single day? Every weekend? Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, it's not on campus. Oh, darn. You know, it's like, you want to play in the most iconic stadium in college football? Yeah, of course. But, you know, like Pitt's Pitt's, uh, stadium isn't on campus either, right? I don't think so. Even though it's all downtown? Yeah, I don't think Pitt's is on campus. I think it's like two miles away, but it's a 75-minute drive. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Would that affect you? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's just something to be said. And I know players aren't walking to the game on the day of campus, but there's something to be said. It's just people just walking through campus to go to a game. Now, I've driven by Ohio State. Is Ohio State Stadium right in the middle of campus? Where how where um, it's like on the edge of campus. Okay, but it's it's on campus, right? It's definitely on campus. Yeah. Um, And most of the most of the stadiums are on the edge of campus, aren't they? Like Arizona Stadium was on the edge of campus too, um, and it's just like for traffic purposes. But like Miami just doesn't have fans going to the games at all, do they? It's not great. So but like, and I don't know they if they on campus stadium would that help? I don't know. What it? Do you know? No, I don't like. Do I, you, I think that's the plan. The plan when you it. put it on campus, or is Miami in plans to build an on-campus stadium? I think Miami's in plans to build an on-campus stadium. Yeah, that'll be very interesting to see because, like, how many people don't go to the games because they can't get there is an interesting question. Because when I went to football games when I was in college, I walked to the stadium. Yeah. So you know, I don't know how much that it matters for recruiting. It's you know, it's, like, it's more like, students. You know. Yeah, but I mean, like in recruiting too, it's just like, oh god, I don't want to go play at Miami because their stadium's ten minutes away. Or twenty minutes away, or however far away it is. Yeah, but do you want to hop on? I'm just. Do you want to hop on a bus for twenty minutes to go to a home game? Like the players probably aren't driving; they're probably taking a bus. To I don't think that would cause me to to make my college them. decision. Okay, yeah. but That's, like you said, every everybody's different. And like also too, it's just like when Miami goes to the stadium, I'm assuming they have a police escort. Yeah. So you know, I like police escorts. I've been in a few. It's been great. I've been in a lot. They're going going traveling with. Uh, you know, sideline reporter for Vanderbilt for years. Do people know that you had that job? You should tell people that you had that job. It's oh. a cool job. I envy oh, that. From, from 2012, mid-season 2012 through 2018, I was the sideline sideline reporter for Vanderbilt Radio. Um, and the best is, like you said, police escorts from the airport, whatever. The best was playing at UMass one year, flying into Logan Airport in, in Boston at 4 o'clock on a Friday and – James Franklin getting pissed because the police escort wasn't working better when it was like bumper to bumper traffic in the interstate in in in, in Massachusetts. And Did you get crazy. to know James Franklin quite a bit? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't like hang out with him, but he was always great to me. And um, basically, my job was work the sidelines during the games, uh, give three or four reports each half or whatever. And I could go anywhere. The cool thing was I could go anywhere. I literally would stand next to James Franklin. Like he was yelling at the ref. I would stand right next to him. No one ever said anything. I could not believe no one ever said anything to me. If you look at old Venerable games, I'm standing right. Because I'm dressed like the coaches. And I would just listen to what the refs, James yelling at the refs or Derek Mason. And I'd report back to our play-by-play guy. And like they were pissed that they thought there was a hold or something like that. So then I would interview the coach on the, uh, after at halftime going to the locker room. And then after the game, my job, I'd go in the locker room after the game, and while the coach is talking or whatever in the position breakdowns, I would get the radio equipment ready. I would interview the player of the game in the locker room, and then I would set up the head coach to talk to our play-by-play guy up in the booth. So I'd give him the – so I would hang out with the Franklin like after the game, after the locker room had cleared out, it basically just me. That's a cool SID. job. 
it's, yeah, it was great. it's so funny to me i was like you strike me as somebody who would like accidentally trip him <laughs> what are you talking about like you'd be like standing behind him and then he'd turn around and like you would just oh, be like trying oh, to ease yeah. off and the reps and then just like trip franklin on the sideline yeah uh, no. that's that's a cool job that's a cool yeah. job I don't it think was cool i mean I, I always say when, when we talked about best players we've seen in person the the most explosive athlete Jay i cutler. saw is um i was not the sideline reporter when he was uh there but it is jay a- cutler right aj brown from ole miss was the most now you got a much better view of wide receivers because I was standing on the sideline and they would kind of line up near you. But he was the most explosive athlete I saw in the SEC in the seven years I did it, and I could feel kind of vindicated because he turned out to be a great wide receiver. Yeah, look at him, look at him uh, now, great player. So, um, so yeah, that's that's that was my gig as a sideline reporter. Um, which this is from Michael C. Which quarterback is going to overtake Arch Manning in the rankings after the Elite Eleven, and why will it be Malachi Nelson? <laughs> this was just sort of an introduction because you've made the point in recent weeks, like some people think Eli Holstein's film is really good. And like last year you were at the Elite 11 and everyone's like, wow, this Drew Aller kid is amazing. Yes, Quinn Ewers is good, but this Drew Aller kid is good. It's still relatively early in the cycle. We, I don't think he was going to overtake Arch Manning, but we still could see a lot of movement in the quarterback rankings. I just don't think anybody wants to be the guy that does it. Like, that can you imagine being Arch? the well, no, no. I, the, oh. the oh, that moves that it? Changes, like, yeah, yeah. Like in, um, in our evaluation meeting, you know what? I'm not really impressed with Arch. Let's see. see, see. I don't think Arch is going to the Elite 11. Really? So um, I haven't seen. They've announced you know, most of the guys who are going, and he's not one of them. And I don't think that he's been participating in a lot of the camps. So you know, if he doesn't go and one of the guys who does go, like Nico or you know, whoever, has a great camp, there's more to evaluate there. It's possible that I guess, I mean, it could conceivably happen. But like Arch Manning is just like Quinn Ewers. He was like the, the undisputed number one right. on every website. So um, for him to get uh, jumped, it's going to take quite a bit. But, you know, I am, it is a shame that he's not, I don't think he's going because if he was, that would be a hell of a story for me. Think he's trying to avoid you? Probably. Yeah. Can't handle your questions. I think he's trying to avoid everybody who does my job. If we're being <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing specific. Nothing I don't think it's just like I don't want to go there because Ari Wasserman is going to be there. I think it's I don't want to go there because there's going to be a bunch of slobs with tape recorders waiting for me. After <laughs> it's over. Are you referring to yourself as a slob? Yeah. In okay. comparison to some of these uh, these well-oiled athletes, for sure. Yeah. Duly noted. Um, Dominic, a frequent uh, question asker. This one's pretty simple, but just some people might not know this. Uh, we hear a lot about high school recruiting, transfer portal recruiting, and everything else. My question is, what is the difference between a walk-on and a priority walk-on? Priority, priority walk-on wa- oh, is, recruited, is someone who's basically recruited. It's like, we don't have a scholarship offer for you, but we want you to be part of our program. You don't have to try out. It's like a, a guarantee. Lot, yeah, a lot of schools will have open tryouts for students once the season begins, like in September. And you might have two or three kids make the team there. Uh, their position's kind of tenuous on the team. I, a recruited walk-on doesn't have all the same advantages as a scholarship athlete, like financially, but basically everything else. They're they're part of and the team. And from what I understand, too, a priority walk-on has a better chance of earning a scholarship down the line if there is. Oh, sure. A lot of times they come here, we don't have a scholarship for you now, but if things work out next year, we'll give you a scholarship. It right. happens a lot. Like all those, all those cool videos you see of coaches – having meetings and say, you know, uh, Ari Wasserman, you're in scholarship. I'd say 80% of those guys probably got there as recruited walk-ons. Right. Um, Thanks, Yeah, yeah, those are always cool. Um, 
we've we've talked about this before, but I, I like talking specific programs and just kind of what our take is. It's Kevin H., what is Minnesota's ceiling, especially with divisions potentially going away? I think P- we saw it. Yeah, is P.J. Fleck going to leave another job for another job, or uh, or is he a lifer? I think it depends on how well he does there. I always, so what, struggle, so it, I always talk- struggle with these questions um, when people say, how long is someone going to be somewhere? Because I don't know P.J. Fleck personally. And, like, everybody has different goals, career goals. Like, some people want to find a place. Like, Ryan Day wants to stay at Ohio State for a long time because he doesn't like moving his family around. The, the phrase uh, I always use, sorry to interrupt, is you never know what makes a guy tick. Like, Dave Clawson. Right. Dave Clawson. He wants to stay at Wake Forest. He could have gone elsewhere. He likes it there. He Does he, you know, and it, give him some truth serum. You're going to say, do you think you can win a national title at Wake Forest? He's going to say no. I mean – if he's being honest, but for him, maybe that's okay at this stage of his life. If also, things change too. You know, you might think think one way in five years from now, you might think something different, and the right yeah. bag gets dropped on your on your lap. You know, you, you change your mind. So change the change of athletic department. I don't know. Like PJ director. Fleck has always struck me from afar as somebody who wants to climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. Did you think the move to Minnesota was strange? Do you think he's like could have skipped a step? Maybe. I think Minnesota is a very underrated place. I, I want to talk about that. It's the only Division One school in the state. It's a huge metropolitan area. We, we, we've, we dive into the numbers a lot about where players come from. doesn't seem like there's a ton of players from Minnesota. It's a great bas- – Minneapolis is a really good bas- college, uh, high school basketball city. But if you get, the, if you get it going, you can, you can – and you can, like, quote, unquote, put the borders around your state and all that. You can get some players there. Yeah, I think that the cold thing probably has an impact on them. Because I've heard i never been to Minnesota in the summer, but I heard Minnesota's amazing in the summer. Yeah, I've been. It's nice. Um, but I don't know what the, the ceiling of it was. Didn't they win 11 games two years ago? I think so. I believe that's it. That's probably the ceilings. And if you take the division away, I mean, I think the entire Big Ten West is going to go down hard. Yeah, I, I think that's really going to hurt. You know, it's it, the way that the divisions were set up wasn't even competitively fair anyway. So, you know, if, depending on what the scheduling looks like, I mean, I've always felt bad for Penn State and Michigan State because they had to play Michigan, Ohio State, and either Penn State or Michigan State every single right. year. And it's Let like alone Maryland and Minnesota Rutgers. won 11 I mean, games, but I don't yeah. know who they played that year. You know, I don't know if they had to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State on their schedule that year. I know they beat Penn State, so, you know, I'm not trying to diminish their accomplishment, but it's just without divisions, if it's the top two teams – it's going to be a, a tough road for even the Wisconsin's of the world. I'm trying to think of a, a job in another league to compare Minnesota to. Um, Missouri. What's a better Missouri job? Missouri is a good one. What's a better job? Missouri, Missouri. or Minnesota? Yeah. Two main, as in the SEC, two main metropolitan areas. Yeah. Yeah. Minnesota has a big metropolitan area, but I don't care how many people live in the city. It's a matter of how many football prospects come. Right. The, ama- but the I don't, amazing. I, Minnesota is like a hockey town too, isn't it? Yeah. So like the thing too is just like population size usually correlates to how many good players you have. But if the players in that state or that city are all playing youth hockey instead of football, and this is just me bullshitting. I don't know what the actual reason is, but we like to you know speculate on certain things. Like when it comes to geographical trends, then the best athletes aren't going to be football scholarship players. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like Minnesota is a really cool town. It has a great infrastructure. Their stadium is brand new. What? Minneapolis? Yeah. Minnesota is located in a great town. Sorry. Uh, 
What? No, Minneapolis. Oh, the University of. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you but, not think that I know the difference between the state of Minnesota and Minneapolis? Like, is that what you, you think? I know. I do think that. Okay. Um, Good. The amazing thing is there's only one D- Division One basketball program in the state as well. The whole state of Minnesota, just University of Minnesota. And Trey Lance is from there. Yeah. Should have gone to Minnesota, or Minnesota should have offered him. Can't say he should have gone there because they didn't offer him. I think Minnesota offered him to play safety or something, and he wanted to play quarterback. That's my understanding of it. But Good I would have taken him. Good move, I would have taken Lance. him as a quarterback. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I think it's a cool job. I just don't know. Like, I don't know that I think that any of the Big Ten West teams have a particularly high ceiling because they don't have good geography. You get the five best teams for ge- geographical purposes on the right side of the conference, and then on the left side, it's just like you're in Iowa. Okay, like, yeah, what you're, do you you're a free agent head coach who's had success elsewhere, and you have to take a Big Ten West job, and they're all open. Give me your top three. I'd probably go with Wisconsin, number one, because they have an infrastructure and a proven plan that works every single year. Yep. Um, number two would probably be uh, Iowa because the fan base um, understands exactly what it is and um, I think you can recruit to what they are mm-hmm. and I think three would be Minnesota so no Nebraska Nebraska seems like a nightmare the opposite of what a fan base thinks it should be maybe. if I were a coach I would I would pick my job based on realistic expectations from the fan base because I think it'd be easier to operate. Like I think Nebraska fans think that they should be winning the Big Ten every five years, and it's like it's just not. They're so far away from that. Like I wouldn't want to step into a world where that would be a discussion point. Yeah, fair. I mean, that's that, yeah. That's not that I don't think I would be like you know you take a job expecting to achieve those things. Every coach you know? has big ego. That's why every job gets filled. Well, also they yeah. Get paid a well, lot it's of like money. I mean, every you get paid a lot of money, and like the best job in America is being a fired Division One football coach. Yes, but you know. Uh, I like places that have a plan and have executed the plan and the result of the plan is um, approved by the fan base. By the way, speaking of geography, as you mentioned earlier, I was listening to my favorite Ohio State podcast, 46 with A&B, and I was chuckling at your geography, your your New Orleans to Columbus versus Austin to Columbus. You were surprised how far New Orleans to Columbus was. Yeah, I am somebody who's driven long road trips (laughs) a million times. All over the country, I've driven from Dallas to Los Angeles, and I've driven from Dallas to Columbus. Like, I've driven the entire country. It is astounding to me how little I can, like, my guesses are correct in terms of how far of a drive something is from somewhere. Yeah. Because I've Uh, driven from Columbus to New Orleans before, and I didn't remember it being 14 hours, and driving from Dallas to New Orleans... Or Austin to New Orleans seems like really, really far to me, but it's actually only like seven hours. Yeah, here's here's a good one for you. Hold on, I gotta look this yeah, up. Yeah, if it's um, a trivia question, is what's a further drive, Maine to Pittsburgh or uh, South Carolina to Pittsburgh? I don't know. Like that's okay. Like impossible H- here it is. It's not a tr- Bristol, Tennessee. Do you know where Bristol, Tennessee is? No. It's in the north. It's the literally the northeast corner of the state. It's like share. There's a Bristol, Tennessee, and there's a Bristol. Virginia. Connecticut. No. Bristol, Tennessee to Memphis is the same distance basically as from Bristol, Tennessee to Detroit. Yeah, that sounds crazy to me. Yeah. It's about one's 563, one's 500 because Tennessee is so long. Um, yeah, it's like it's it's crazy how long that state is. But yeah, um, I you know, uh, 
I, I chuckle. Tennessee is a very underrated, pretty state. It's very. Uh, it's three states in one. Basically, you've got East Tennessee, all mountains. It's middle Tennessee is hills, and but a lot, a lot of great parks and stuff. And then West Tennessee is is more flat. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, you should come visit. Uh, Ari. Have you? I've been to Cherokee before. Cherokee, Tennessee. Is it Cherokee, Tennessee, or Cherokee, North Carolina? Cherokee, I think North Carolina. But it's also in the. Yeah, it is Cherokee, North Carolina. But Cherokee, North Carolina has a casino, and I played in a poker tournament there. Uh-oh. But it's also like right on the edge, or like an hour outside of Tennessee. Like, so it's like I remember driving through the Great Smoky Mountains Park, and Cherokee, North Carolina, is like on one end of it, and like Gatlinburg is where you drive out of it. So yeah. like, it's like half Tennessee, half North Carolina. And I remember thinking like, wow, you know, this Harris. It was a Harris Casino, and I was playing poker, and it's funny, but. I was blown away by how pretty the Great Smoky Mountains were. Yeah, you probably don't remember this conversation. Once we, when we first started working together, um, you were saying something about Tennessee, how you liked it, and you said you've been to Gatlinburg, and I said I didn't like Gatlinburg. And you're like, what? I said because I didn't actually like. I like the area, but not the town. I said, but there's some good hiking places. And you said, oh, I went. All I did was hike beers down my throat. Yeah, isn't that what everybody <laughs> does there? <laughs> I went hiking with my family. I didn't hike. Yeah, beers. I mean, I you're, you're I, a big hike with my family person, and I love that about you. Um, and we're as long as be, I don't come across a bear. Yeah. So, all right. I Number think one fear <laughs> in the world is coming into uh, into uh, the path of a big bear. So what do I do with every family activity? I put myself in a position where I'm way more <laughs> likely to, to reach my fear. You gotta, sometimes like my, you favorite, gotta f- my favorite uh, or my number one fear in the entire world is being bitten by sharks. So what do you do with your family? I go <laughs> scuba diving every time. Sometimes you got to face your fears, Ari. Yeah. All right, ready for some trivia? You, it was funny because he sent me a YouTube video of a bear chasing down a guy, and the thing was hauling ass. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. <laughs> it like makes me laugh just thinking about you getting chased by a bear. And the weird thing is, like, my parents live in in Tennessee now, but they lived in Morristown, New Jersey, before that. And you know, thinking New Jersey, you know, they took a there's a huge black bear in their backyard in New Jersey, like a few years ago. That's weird. Yeah. They're unavoidable, Ari. They're everywhere. Yeah, they're coming for you. Uh, also, um, I said something about... Oh, I tweeted the other day, uh, or last week, when the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban stuff happened, that you'd have a better chance of proving that Bigfoot is real yeah. than proving that Nick Saban cheated at any point 10 years ago. Um, and somebody said... Actually, it has been proven on Twitter. And I said, okay, dude, send me a link or a story showing me where Nick Saban cheated. And that's a factual proven thing. And he goes, no, dumbass. Bigfoot. (laughs) I was talking about Bigfoot. And he sent me a link to a Hulu documentary about Northern California Bigfoot. I don't believe it. About a documentary. And it is on my list to watch. Okay. I don't believe it. Uh, I could believe it. All right, trivia. Is Bigfoot real? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what? Where was Bigfoot ranked in the two four seven composite? But Bigfoot would be a five star prospect. Defensive like, edge rusher like that. Edge rusher. A guy I that think. moves like that. That's yeah. that big and it's got like a size twenty nine foot. Like sign me up. Yeah, I mean, you put him on the edge and just blow by the tackle. No, no doubt, it'd be awesome. All right. There's some geography to this question, Ari. Oh God. How many? And there's, it's it's not definitive either. So there's there's some gray areas here. How many number one overall players in the two four seven composite 
from 2002 through 2022, the number one overall player did not come from the South, Texas, or California. So that's uh, that would be 20, 20 people total? 21. 11. Um, no, I, I, my notes are bad. Okay. I think it's, I think it's, um, four or five. Sorry. It's Brian Brisset, Maryland, which is technically like it's below the Mason Dixon line, but it's not, I wouldn't call that the South. Would you agree? Maryland is not the South. Right. Okay. But it's below the Mason Dixon. I don't even think that North Carolina is the South. Okay. Well, Rashawn Gary, New Jersey. Yeah. That's who I thought of. Eugene Monroe. New Jersey in 2005, Doriel Green Beckham, Missouri, and I think there was another Missouri. I screwed up this trivia question. I took my Isn't notes. Doriel Green Beckham? Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, I thought you Doriel Green Beckham from Missouri. I think there was another guy. Has there been a guy the last few years from Missouri? No, not Luther uh, Burden, obviously. Sorry. I don't know. I don't I, think I, so. I'll correct this trivia question next week, So, but it's either four or five. I thought there was... I jotted down my notes, and I must not have uh, completed them. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit lower than I thought. I thought because there's always a sneaky random number one player right. in random places. Ton, so. A ton from Georgia, and yeah. a ton from California. So, like Leonard Fournette. So I'm looking at it now. Yeah, Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette um, who's the other running back that who, who passed away? Uh, Joe Joe McKnight. Yeah, yeah. Is he California? No, New Orleans. He came from New Orleans. Yes. Yeah. I, I maybe I overshot a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'll look that up again. Okay. So, so mo- basically, what you're saying is that if you're in the Pac-12 footprint and you haven't, you suck, then it's like an embarrassment. Like was, what's was the whole, takeaway from that, or that uh, there's only good football in the players, South and California and Texas? Right. That's basically it. The, the 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 best players come from there. So the thing that's crazy is that I don't think there's been a single top player overall nationally from the state of Ohio. Also, uh, is Terrell Pryor on your list? Was he number one? Not. I guess he wasn't number no, one. I, I, mean, I, I went. Thought he was. I just went through two, four, seven. I went twenty-two, twenty-one, twenty. I mean, I did every year. And who was the number one player in Terrell Pryor's class? He was number two nationally. Number two. one. That's a, that's a good trivia question. Daquan Bowers from Georgia, right? He went to he South went to Carolina. Clemson. Okay, went to Clemson. I thought okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, good show, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Good talk. Um, next week, we might bring a guest on. We'll, we'll figure it out. A lot of heating up in recruiting. I think across the athletic, there's going to be a lot of good recruiting content this week as, our, as of all, of all of our beat writers dive in and kind of reset where their programs are. A lot of big official visits coming in the state of June. So a lot of good content on the athletic. Yep. Thanks so much for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. We'll catch you guys next week.